0: to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your hostess with the mostess, Sarah. (laughs) And when I say mostess, I mean the good 15 pounds I've gained since COVID started. So we've got some interesting stuff that's happened since we recorded last. Um, Yeah. First and foremost being Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty. Yeah. Which, you know, we kind of knew it was coming, right? Well... I knew she should be found guilty. I think I was kind of expecting
1: her to be acquitted. Like, I don't know why. I just kind of like was uh, surprised they actually found her guilty.
0: I think once you throw in that military element, how she, you know. She, yeah. Then you kind of, you have to find her guilty. That's true. But she yeah. was found guilty on four accounts of defrauding investors. Yeah. She, well, it says she... Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes was convicted on three counts of criminal wire fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. On This was a few weeks ago, with a jury unanimously finding her guilty of illegally fleecing investors out of, a million do- out of millions of dollars through her startup blood diagnostics company. They did deadlock, though, on three counts of wire fraud, and she was found not guilty on four counts of defrauding patients, which hmm. is interesting because you kind of – I would think it would be the other way around. They would find her guilty of defrauding the patients, and it would be harder right. to convict her on the counts of defrauding just investors. But yeah. Holmes 37 turned toward the judge and jurors as, a jur- as the judge's deputy read the verdict to the packed courtroom in San Jose's Federal District Court. I would have loved to have been there. That was probably amazing. Right? Um, I used, to actually, side note, worked a job uh, for the San Jose Federal District Court back in. Really? God, that was 2003. And so Uh I actually worked in that building, and it was—it's—it was just a little side note. But anyway, the former media darling was dressed in a gray skirt suit, sat upright as she was flanked by two of her defense attorneys, and she showed no sign of emotion. Though she did embrace her family members briefly before exiting the courtroom. Excuse me. On eleven separate felony counts contained in the indictment each carrying a maximum penalty of twenty years in prison, which I doubt they would give her, like, consecutively. They're gonna it's gonna be concurrent right. if she gets that. And yeah. I doubt they're gonna give her twenty years. But the jury found Holmes guilty on three of nine counts and one of two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. But the guilty verdicts in this case reflect her culpability in this large scale investor fraud and she must now face sentencing for her crimes, said a spokesman for the US Attorney's Office in the Northern District of California. Um, Holmes is expected to appeal the decision, of course. Neither her nor her attorneys Mm -hmm. have confirmed the possibility or made any statements as to whether they're actually going to do that or not. But, yeah, you know she will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The conspiracy to commit wire fraud, prosecutors say, was formed by an agreement between Holmes and her co-defendant Ramesh Sunny Balwani to induce investors to back Theranos by making numerous misrepresentations to potential investors about Theranos' financial condition and its future prospects. Judge Edward Davila will hand down a sentence at a later date. Under California law, felony convictions must be scheduled for sentencing within 20 days of a guilty verdict. Exceptions to this rule can apply... But the government's decision on whether to retry homes on the three hung charges could impact the sentencing date. Oh, okay. So yes, she has not been sentenced yet, but that decision on whether they're going to retry that could put a pause on her sentencing. Right. Um, This was based on wire transfers from 2014. It was $38.3 million investment by experienced healthcare investor Brian Grossman. And then about a hundred million dollars by former U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. <laughs> I'm not even. That's gonna, absurd. Not even going to comment. Where where does yeah. this woman have a hundred million? Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go there. And then a six million dollar investment by prominent estate lawyer Daniel Mosley, who probably represented um, what's his name, Forte Stu. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, And he, who was perhaps more influential than any of the other investors in steering wealthy clients to Theranos. Um, Hmm. One of the government's attorneys asked for Holmes' signature bond to be modified to a secured bond, which would require her to provide collateral while she waits for the government's decision on retrying the three counts, because she's free, basically. They don't have her in jail. And this is a landmark case, one of the most closely watched ones in Silicon Valley history because it establishes a new bar for the extent to which startup ventures and their founders who overhype the capabilities of their products and services can steer clear of the US Justice Department's scrutiny. Interesting, right? So this could be a precedent setting case. Um, representations made by startup founders like Holmes have not always attracted significant pressure from federal prosecutors, partially due to the typical ar- agreements that multimillion-dollar and billionaire investors sign before they make their investments, attesting to their understanding of the highly speculative nature of such mm-hmm. wagers. And I have, I, I'm pretty sure she probably had things of that nature in place as well. But Holmes was also accused and acquitted of defrauding consumers who paid for, cus- who paid for her company's Commercialized blood testing service through its partnerships with Walgreens. Jurors were not convinced of the government's claims that customers who spent money on the service only to receive erroneous results were also duped because of Theranos' test not being reliable. Mm-hmm. But six of the wire fraud charges, counts three through eight in the indictment against Holmes were based on multi-million dollar investments in Theranos made between 2013 and 2014. Two wire fraud charges, counts 10 and 11, were based upon payments made by Theranos customers in exchange for blood services, while an additional count, that's number 12, pointed to a money transfer tied to Theranos' advertisement of its services. Hmm. So the jury's decision was based on testimony from more than 30 witnesses, including Holmes herself, who took the standard in her own defense, as well as arguments for each party's lawyers, and more than 900 exhibits introduced over the 15-week trial, Holmes' was building a business and not a criminal enterprise, her attorney says. But uh, the U.S. District Attorney John Bostick painted a starkly different picture telling the jurors the disease that plagued Theranos was not a lack of effort, it was a lack of honesty, which, well said. Yeah. Well said, yeah. sir. Well said.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting. So they they basically said she knew she couldn't deliver on the product when she was selling this idea to investors. Yep. But not that they cheated the customers out of their money when they then bought this fraudulent product. That's what it sounds
0: like. Um, That's interesting. And I think that, you know, they could choose to press, the the district attorney could choose to press for further charges against her to be uh, prosecuted, and I guess Mm -hmm. we'll have to wait and see, because I believe that verdict was handed down more than 20 days ago. So they must yeah, be filing additional charges or just, or maybe they're waiting till the Balwani thing is underway. I don't know. Right. So I guess we'll we'll wait and, and tell people the updates as they come out. But yeah. it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, the secondary would have
0: been hard to be on that jury in terms of like following all of that too. Yeah, because I, you know, read some information about the jurors that actually spoke out after the trial and they said that, you know, she was very believable. She was very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. She was very well spoken. She didn't seem nervous or pressed, um, and it was hard to convict her. But they had to look at the facts directly. Right. I mean, and it's it's an emotional thing because we wanted her to succeed. You know, she's a woman in this business who made a lot of money, and that's a pretty rare thing in many instances yeah. to have a female uh, boss lady like her who was kind of badass and and did her thing and really like conquered the industry. But you know, you got to go off the facts. You can't go off your emotions right. and, and, you know,
1: hopes. Well, you got to deliver. Like, yeah. it's great that she was able to sell all of this stuff and this idea, but, like, she
0: couldn't deliver the science. Precisely. Okay. Um, next thing. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah. Guilty. Good. We knew that was going to happen. But at yep. the same time, you know, I've heard a lot about this as well. But, um,. For almost 15 years, victims of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell had been called prostitutes, had been lied to by prosecutors, Mm -hmm. and had been viciously attacked by defense lawyers, and were traumatized over and over by a system of justice that catered to wealthy and politically connected people who assaulted them as teenagers. On Wednesday, which was, I believe, two weeks ago, the victims were finally believed, Maxwell Sixy was found guilty in federal court of recruiting and trafficking minor girls to be sexually assaulted by her companion Epstein, a New York financier who escaped federal prosecution in Florida when his crimes were first investigated in 2007. Mm-hmm. The Manhattan jury found Maxwell guilty of five of the six counts she faced, including sex trafficking that carries a maximum penalty of 40 years in prison. So she's not going to get 40 years, I'll tell you that much. Taken together, the five charges carry a maximum penalty of 65 years behind bars. The verdict came after about 40 hours of deliberation over six days in the midst of the COVID outbreak in New York that could have led to a mistrial. She wore a black mask and a dark purple sweater. I don't really care what she wore. Yeah. (laughs) She avoided eye contact with the jurors as they filed into the courtroom. They read the verdict. She appeared shaken. She struggled to stand. Didn't shed any tears, though. Sumped in her chair, sipped a little water. They said she was sipping profusely, is what I heard. Like, Mm. really having issues, maybe breathing or something. Um, Absent from the room were many of the four women who testified in the trial. I think it's a shame we weren't represented at all by anyone, said one of them. Prosecutors alleged Maxwell, the daughter of the late British publishing mogul Robert Maxwell, was a central figure in Epstein's sex crimes, helping him recruit and sexually abuse young girls in the 90s and 2000s. The road to justice has been far too long, they said in a statement, but today justice has been done. Epstein's death in federal custody August 2019 had denied victims an earlier opportunity to seek justice. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not going to read this whole article to you, but she essentially has been found guilty. We don't have sentencing in her case either. Um, I imagine that will probably be coming down any day now. Um, My guess, if I had to put one out there, she's probably going to get about 20 years in prison.
1: And they've already – I know they have already said that they're appealing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so that's to be expected, obviously. But the other thing that I heard that's kind of – Related to this case is the two guards who were supposed to be on watch during when Jump, uh, Epstein died by suicide. Right. They had their charges dropped, I believe. Good. Bye. Yeah. So basically, I mean, it was charges of like they basically fabricated records that they like went. Yeah. And did their Yeah. Well, I mean, they probably did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. But in any case, I I don't know this case to me. I keep going back to it because. Of the simple fact that I believe that if Epstein was still alive, that she wouldn't have taken it so hard. I believe she'd bore the brunt of everything because she's the only one left. Maybe I mean, maybe. I don't, I have don't a think she with that though. I have a hard time believing she would have even been prosecuted if he was still alive. but I think they that they, they want to make an example of this and they made a lesson out of her and they put her away it would I mean,
1: I tell you it would have been interesting. She's going to gonna be in there the rest
0: of her life. I mean, she's 60
1: now. Yeah. Right? It would have been interesting to see what kind of deals they would have tried to. Yeah. She would have got him. a deal. Yeah. If
0: he was alive, she would have made herself a deal. Yeah. And she would have spent little, if any, time in prison and, and the story would have been over. Right. But she got screwed because he's dead. I'm I'm fine I'm with that. I'm telling it. you. Not that I have a problem with that, right. but like, it's just, it's interesting how that played out. And it's, you know? Yeah. It's just goes to show you you can run but only for a certain amount of time before you got to pay the piper for and i believe i read like a one of those celebrity gossip sites that
1: says like her husband like that's already done like he's already moved on like he's got a girlfriend
0: he's like bye i don't think they were married for any reason like any real reason it was i think she she wanted to hide her money yeah and he was a convenient person to do that for her in my opinion entirely possible yeah i don't think it was like a love match by any stretch of the right. imagination okay um uh, there's that so we'll keep you guys posted when the verdicts come in for those two cases and then <laughs> there's an interesting one that i just had to talk about i saw this in the news the other day and just laughed my butt off man hired babysitters to treat him like a baby change his diaper louisiana cops say uh-uh there's was a 30-year-old, a 31-year-old man on probation in human trafficking cases in jail again. This time for trying to recruit babysitters to treat him like a child and change his diapers. Investigators say Rutledge Diaz called the arrangement alternative therapy. Mm. He the, he lives in part of the new or, in the New Orleans metro area and was posing as a younger man with special needs and hiring babysitters who would pay who he would pay to change his diaper and treat him like a child. He was accused of doing the same thing in November 2019 when he was originally arrested as part of a special victims unit human trafficking investigation. In December 2020, he pled guilty to the charges related to the investigation when it was placed on probation. But then December 20th, 2021, detectives began a second investigation investigation after learning of a text message which exhibited similar behaviors. In the message, he indicated he was engaged in alternative therapy and offered to pay the victim to change his diapers. Uh, he also tried using the victim to solicit other babysitters to care for him while he again posed as a younger man with special needs. He was arrested at his home December 23rd and charged with one count of human trafficking and one count of attempted human trafficking. He was booked into the Jefferson Parish Correctional Center, and the investigation remains ongoing with the possibility of additional victims. Can you believe I, this? I don't even know where to begin. Are you speechless? <laughs> it takes a lot to make Darzi. Like speak that's with. so bizarre. I mean, I've heard of fetishes where you like to do the baby and diaper thing. If that's thing your and thing, that's fine.
1: But you need to find somebody that will consensually do that, not that an you adult. You trick into yeah
0: doing that. An adult in the fetish community would be more than happy to do that for you. But it sounds as though he was using it as a front to recruit underage sex and victims. It all,
1: yeah. And it sounds like part of the
0: fantasy for him is the tricking part. Yes. Like tricking somebody, manipulating
1: somebody into doing this for you. Not, not finding a willing partner.
0: Yeah. So interesting. Right. Yeah, that's a word for it, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, okay, let's talk about the main case okay. for the day. Now that we've gotten all that out of our system, I'm going to talk about Pamela Smart. Do you know who that is? Yes, I do. Uh, I've been wanting to do this case for a while. I find this interesting. But um, Pamela Smart, uh, born Pamela Ann Woges She came into the world August 16th, 1967, in Wyndham, New Hampshire. So... It was interesting. When I was reading the, the background on this, I saw some accounts was that, were that she was born in Florida, and some were that she was born in New Hampshire. So I got kind of okay. differing um, information when I researched this. But um, some say she was... Maybe they were snowbirds. I don't know. Some say she was born in Coral Gables, Florida, and others say New Hampshire. Hmm. So we're, I'm going to put out both and let you guys make the call on that. But she was the middle child out of three kids, and she had an older sister and a younger brother. Um, her dad was a pilot. For a commercial airline, and her mother worked in the legal field part time as a legal secretary. So clearly, okay. they were this middle to upper middle class family, um, and you know maybe they were snowbirds. Um, they probably could afford it if her dad was a commercial airline pilot, because back in the day, yeah. like those guys made really good money. I don't know that they make yeah. good, that great of money now, but um, particularly since COVID has like torn the industry up. Yeah. But um, around middle school, they picked up and went to New uh, to Wyndham, New Hampshire, um, from the Miami area, which is a pretty big okay. change, I think, uh, for anyone. Yes. Uh, Miami versus New Hampshire. New Hampshire is pretty rustic in places. But uh, Pamela was a bright and outgoing person. She was pretty bubbly. She was a cheerleader. She was attractive and driven. And she went to college in Florida State, at Florida State, mm. which is known for being a party school. Yes, it is. Um, indeed. Um, but it's not surprising she did like Florida, and she ended up going back there for school to you know get back to the the warmth and the mm-hmm. the sunshine and whatnot. She graduated in 1988, and she had a high GPA. She studied broadcasting, okay, and she worked in radio, and she was a huge fan of heavy metal music, okay, which seems a little strange given how pretty and kind of petite with this kind of but clean that's also cut like 88. That's like peak. Heavy Keep metal, metal hairband. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at her, you'd never guess that she was like a metalhead. That's true. She does look like very. Like, yeah, um, I mean, maybe now she looks like she could be a metal metalhead, but <laughs> back then, like if you see cute little pictures of her, you don't necessarily think. Yeah, of, she she's pretty straight edge. Although, when you look at some of the the old videos from back then, the girls in the videos were always clean cut. I mean, not always, but a lot of times they were clean cut. Like, yeah, I that was like Ta- the thing. Tawny Katane, or yeah. Katan, however you say it, how she would crawl. She was clean cut. And yes, cute, she was. So like, maybe it was a thing. So um, in any case, she kind of liked being the center of attention. And there were also some kind of unique behavioral issues, though, that she was having. She was said to have been very impulsive, compulsive, Uh, Folding dirty laundry, doing a lot of meticulous cleaning, and just liked everything very organized Hmm. and tightly scheduled and didn't want to have her schedule thrown off. Okay. Okay. Um, Interesting little side notes, right? Um, Pamela's future husband, Greg Smart, was born September 4th, 1965. He grew up in New Hampshire um, and was the second child... They lived in a nice, comfortable home. It was kind of average by all accounts. There wasn't really anything out of the ordinary about Greg. He was sort of a good-looking, smart, outgoing, social guy and really loved heavy heavy metal music as well Mm -hmm. as Pamela. Right. And this was the mutual interest that kind of brought them together. They met at a party as teenagers in 1986 on New Year's Eve. The two were instantly an item. And they ended up getting married several years later. And Greg even moved to Florida to be with Pam during her final year at FSU. Their life was pretty much um, described as picture perfect for the first bit of time that they were together. But after they graduated from college and got married and whatnot, they went back to New Hampshire to settle down. And it was a decent kind of a residential area with two-story townhouse Mm -hmm. that they had. They had new furniture, they had two cars, they got a dog, and all of it was, like, a block from Greg's family. So, like, they were able to have that time with his Mm -hmm. family, and it was just kind of this idyllic sort of a situation for them. But this didn't last very long, because about six to seven months after they moved back to New Hampshire, they started experiencing marital angst, which... That's really early to start, like, fighting well, and it. I've always getting heard, like, it. the
1: first year of marriage. I've never been married, so, like... But I've always heard, like, the first year of marriage is, like, pretty tough. Especially if, like, you oh, didn't live Hyman together phase? before. And, like, you're, this is your first time, like, living together, figuring stuff out. And you're living in a new area, too. Like...
0: I mean, I suppose you could look at it that way. But I thought the first like year or two was like the honeymoon phase. And I don't you're know. Supposed I've to, always like,
1: heard it's like, really difficult just getting used to like living with somebody else.
0: But again, this is,
1: I think, back in the time of like when people didn't cohabitate before they got married kind no. of a thing. No,
0: yeah. The last tail end of that. Yeah. But I mean, I think that part of the reason that they started having issues is because when they got to this new state, Greg kind of determined that he was going to settle down and do adulting. Okay. When I say that he cut his hair, he started wearing conservative clothing. He became oh. insurance. He became an insurance salesman. Started dressing So they dressing were like just not like on that. the same page at life. No, either. So like he did really well in his career yeah. and he was leaving kind of the rock music thing behind and was She's like so not really into partying. And she was like, "Yeah, I want to party." Gotcha. Cut it. Yeah. And she doesn't like his new haircut. She's yeah. Like, I mean, that'll lead to no! some disagreements. And yeah. And so they started fighting regularly. Mm-hmm. By the first anniversary, Greg confesses that he had an affair, mm. which you know, wah, wah. yeah. But that was a really, really painful thing for Pamela. Sure. And they started arguing more and more frequently because the trust was gone for her. Yeah. And the marriage was crumbling, in her opinion. I think Greg was trying to work it out, but Pamela was just like, "No, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm, I'm, you, I'm done." And she's working as a media services director and a media coordinator at a high school in New Hampshire. Okay. I think she worked for the school district, and she was going into the high school and kind of doing projects with them. OK. And this was kind of helping her kind of get her foot in the door for her broadcasting dreams. hmm It was sort of like a little stepping stone for her. Because she's like 22, 23 at that time, which is when you know, you need to start building that foundation mm-hmm. to get into that industry. And she's producing and distributing educational videos for use in the school district. And she hasn't, her job isn't extremely well paying, but she has a secretary and a student intern. And I think she kind of felt at that point that maybe things were looking up for her mm-hmm. because of that. And she's working with um, kind of on the side with drug awareness programs, because back then they had that big DARE yeah, drug abuse resistance education, and that was a huge thing, right? So she's working with these programs when she meets a young man by the name of William Billy Flynn. So this is the fall of 1989. And one of these programs was called Project Self Esteem, which sounds. God, that's so 80s. So (laughs) 80s, (laughs) right? And as she's kind of like working with this self esteem program, she gets closer to Billy Flynn. Of course. And she starts helping him make some sort of orange juice commercial for some local competition. And this kid is 15 years old, by the way. I was going to ask. Yeah, okay, so is Billy an adult or Billy is a child? Billy's a child. Yeah. Okay. Um, at 15, I think boys are children. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, he's kicking it with this 22-year-old Pamela, and things are getting a little steamy-steamy. Hmm. Like He's like, she's hot, which... You know, I think if you look at it in any other context, like if you were looking at someone with that age difference 10 years later, it wouldn't make any difference. Okay. yeah. So
1: what I was going to say is like, as a 15-year-old girl, if there was like a 22-year-old boy in the vicinity, I was like googly-eyed. Like, oh my god, it's a 20. Like, you know, he's so dreamy. Like, would I have expected the 22-year-old to like be interested in any capacity? No. And like, I think even then I would be like,
0: that's weird. Don't do that. But in any case. He's kicking it with her in a very inappropriate sort of a way. Right. He's a sophomore in high school, and he also enjoys heavy metal. Mm -hmm. So the two have that kind of thing in common. Plus, I think she's regretting the fact that Greg is leaving everything behind that she loves. And now she's found this younger boy who's basically Greg when he was, like, as a young man. And is like, oh, heck yeah, I want this back. Like, she's kind of frozen in time. Yeah. Right? And... So Billy also has like the metal head hair, like the, mm-hmm. the metal hair and this leather jacket kind of thing, which oh, was man. like, uh, makes me want to puke. I was not into that kind of stuff. I, like, was, nope, I liked not. the clean cut. And I didn't want Same. anything to do with guys like that. But in any case, um, she's like stepping back in time. And Billy was born March 12, 1974. He was from a less stable background. Billy's parents broke up after a tumultuous relationship involving infidelities, and he was from California, and they moved to New Hampshire when Billy was about 12. Ooh. He had some anger management issues and behavioral problems, which, you know, not surprising when you have parents that are going through a divorce and you're moving across the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. So um, when he gets to New Hampshire, he meets Patrick Randall, who's Pete, and Lance, or Vance Latime who's known as Jr. And these three are like okay. best friends, spending their free time together, um, getting into trouble, doing some good stuff, but mostly getting into trouble. Um, Jr. Mm. was kind of studious. He liked to read and fix up old cars. He had an old Camaro. He was planning on joining... Oh, my God. I was so old about to say someone Camaro! The Camaro in story. <laughs> <laughs> he was planning on joining the Marine Corps after high school. That was like his dream. Okay. He was a decent kid from all accounts. He would shovel snow for neighbors and serve dinners to church, uh, to the homeless at church, and that sort of a thing. Okay. Pete wasn't quite as clean-cut. He was not as much of a volunteer as Jared, but he liked skipping school and thought about becoming a hitman. Whoa. Just kind of like to skirt the rules a little bit. So like these two are like exactly the opposite. Yeah. How did they right? link up? I don't know. I guess they were all came. They all came together with the common goal of just having a good time with the metal music. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, interesting. Um, in the meantime, Pamela Smart's student intern. Her name is Cecilia Pierce. She's also 15. Is also becoming close with Pam, which again, yeah, weird, weird, weird. So clearly, Pam is making bad decisions and hanging out with young kids as part of this whole bad decision thing. Um, she even lets Cecilia drive her car. Which is like, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? It sounds like Pamela is like stuck in some kind of a regressive childhood I was going to say, she's like wanting to
1: be like 16 again. And like that's honestly the mistake like a 22-year-old makes when like they have not put their own money into buying their car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not paying that insurance. You're not paying that car note. So
0: like you're like, yeah, let me let a 15-year-old drive my car. Yeah. It just seems really like... Did something bad happen to her at the age yeah. of 15 where she froze in time and now she hasn't been able to reg- to progress past the age of 15? Like, I wonder about her psychological issues right. that would create sort of a desire within her to hang out and be friends with and date and everything, kids who are 15. Yeah. When she's an adult. Yeah. That makes me wonder. But in any case, um, Cecilia starts getting in trouble because her grades start to go down and the school... Um, Her stuff, her school stuff is just suffering. And her parents find out that she's been spending a lot of time with Pam. um, And they try to put a kibosh on it. But the school Mm -hmm. doesn't really do anything. And Pam just keeps doing stuff with Cecilia and Billy Flynn together. Hmm. They go to the local mall. They do dinners. And, you know, they work on school projects. And Pam invites them over when Greg's out of town for work. So this is like
1: her social group. Yeah. She's having yeah. them over
0: at her house, like which again seems super weird. Yeah, to normal people, right? And the three get together and they watch Nine and a Half Weeks, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you know that movie, but I, I watched it when I was about their age, but I didn't watch it with a twenty-two-year-old teacher. I would I have don't humiliated. don't think I watched it until college. And it's a pretty steamy movie. Yeah. Um, and it was back. I used to have the hugest crush on Mickey Rourke after I saw that film. Like, Ugh. Kim Basinger, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke is disgusting now, but yes, back then he was like a little hottie.
1: No, I get it. I get it in the context of nine and a half weeks. But like, all I can see is Mickey Rourke now. And yeah, Mickey Rourke is just a
0: hot mess now. But yeah. back in the day, he was a hot tea. <laughs> and anyway, um, Pam was catching feelings for this young Billy. And she convinces Cecilia to go walk the dog. but she, Oh, no. Look at that excuse. like Brilliant, right? And then she has sex with him while she blasts heavy metal music and ugh. tries to hide the sound of it with that. It's just ugh, appalling. After that, they start bumping uglies on the regular, and conversation becomes more and more frequently centered I on- I do
1: not care for that term. <laughs> frequently
0: centered on getting <laughs> rid of- Conversation becomes more frequently centered on getting rid of Greg. Yeah. Okay. Um, So Pam, according to Bill, Billy, and others' testimony, tells young Billy that they don't have a chance of having a relationship unless they get rid of Greg. Mm -hmm. And they have to get rid of him so they can keep hanging out and having sex, which you got a 15-year-old kid lacking um, impulse control, right? Right. And he's got this crush on his hot teacher, and he doesn't want that to end. And And he has an unstable home life. Yeah. So, of course, he's going to take action. Yeah. Right. Like, he's completely being manipulated. Yes.
1: And he's 15, so, like, it's not like he knows any better.
0: And at some point, uh, Billy asked Pam, why don't you just divorce him? Right. And again, according to testimony during the trial, Pam said Greg would be taking everything if that happened, and it wasn't a good option for her situation. She would walk away with nothing, which does not make any damn sense to me. That's not Mm -hmm. how divorce works. Also, what could she possibly have? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe New Hampshire wasn't a community property state at that time I don't know and other people claim that Pamela told them Greg was beating her up and the only way out was for Greg to die so she's like pulling out all the stops using every little trick and excuse she can think of to make it sound like she's in this horrific situation that she has to get out of because she's miserable is there
1: any evidence to that or like is she just saying this
0: this is all the witnesses that have come forward to say But that. like, is there evidence? There's no evidence that Greg okay. abused her, that Greg beat her. I mean, granted, you know, sometimes people hide sure. those sorts of things well. Uh, but there's no medical reports. There's no police reports. There's nothing that would indicate that Greg in any right. way okay. abused her. Okay. Um, so then a murder plan begins to form. And we all know from earlier cases about teens and impulse control or lack thereof because of brain maturity mm-hmm. and all that. But Bill gets his boys, Jr. and Pete, involved, and they decide to dress up in dark clothes. Pam will leave the back door open, and the boys will break in and make it look like a robbery slash burglary. They were going to take a few things. No lights. Um, put the dog in the basement. Her, that was her specific command, they said. Don't hurt the dog. Use a gun, not a knife, because she doesn't want any blood on her white couch. What do they think a... Of- gun is gonna do <laughs> I don't know I mean I, I think there's gonna be blood yeah. way but like I think she gave them the specific instructions that hey I got this white couch you know stay away from the white couch I don't want to get you all know dirty how random
1: burglars are always
0: concerned about your white couch uh, totally but allegedly she had discussions with the boys that were pretty detailed um, about how she should react to Greg's murder Okay. it's so like oh should I be really surprised should I be devastated should I start crying should I mm. scream and yeah. So anyway, May first, nineteen ninety, Pam and Greg uh, leave for work in the morning, and there's a school board meeting that night. So it's a perfect chance to put the murder mm-hmm. plan into action because Greg won't be home um, till late, and he'll be alone. Okay. Um, because Greg will be alone. So right? Pam will be. So home Pam. Till late. Yeah. Yes. Pam will be <coughs> home late till late, and Greg will be yeah. home alone. Pam stops by and tells Bill that everything is ready to go. She's got the door unlocked and all that good mm-hmm. stuff at, at school. And one interesting little detail behind this is witnesses said that Pam, that day, had on an unusually large amount of jewelry. She was basically wearing everything she had because she didn't want them right. taking it. Right. So that was yeah. suspicious. Um, and then Billy calls Pam and at some point asks for a ride to go pick up the getaway car. Which kind of throws everyone for a loop, uh-huh. right? Because she's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to have contact yeah. with you. We're like, we're going to the plan. But he needs a ride to go get the J.R.'s grandma's car, which seems oh just so, gosh. like, uh, the blind leading the yeah. blind. And then Pam obliges and drops the teens off at of the car. And then by 8.30 that night, Jr, Pete, and Raymond Fowler, as well as Billy, get into the condo, and they lock the dog in the basement. They ransack... They ransack the house and stage everything like it looks like there's Mm -hmm. a robbery. Greg enters the house, turns on the light, and Billy jumps on him. And they take his wallet, and they shoot him in the head. Billy is the shooter. Mm -hmm. Okay. They all then pile into the getaway car and take off, leaving Greg dead on the floor with a bullet behind his left ear. Okay. Okay. He's fallen on top of his wallet and keys. And it's around 10 p.m. when Pam gets home and finds him. And she frantically kind of runs down the complex trying to get neighbors help and finally finds one and tells them that her husband is hurt and she doesn't know what happened and says, quote unquote, why do they keep doing this? What? Why do they keep doing this? Okay. Which seems really odd, right? But maybe she's kind of like trying to set up. A story, right? Here, like right? somebody's
1: after her. Not
0: like somebody's after her, but maybe there's some bunch of kids breaking into houses in the neighborhood, and oh, now they finally hit her. Kind of a situation, oh, right? Okay, and they're like, oh, hmm. So police get there and they process the crime scene, and they believe that from the jump, this was staged. Hmm. The robbery slash burglary that is, and Pam doesn't appear very genuine, and everybody notes that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just there were a bunch of different things about the way the house looked and how they'd stacked up different things next to the door and didn't take them, and the wallet they didn't take. Yeah. And it's just, it just didn't seem like a real yeah robbery. Um, two weeks into the investigation, the police get an anonymous tip that Cecilia knew about the murder and helped plan it. Cecilia Pierce, that is. That's her student intern, mm-hmm. Pam's student intern. And Jr.'s dad then brings in a weapon that he believes was the murder weapon. And this causes police to center in on Pam. In the meantime, they're breaking down Cecilia and questioning her and the boys. Mm -hmm. And before they get very far, Raymond Fowler, who was kind of the guy they added at the last minute, just confesses everything. And the gun matches up. but police don't have enough evidence to implicate Pam as the mastermind behind Greg's murder. So okay. they're like, we got we to keep digging. And they wire Cecilia. They tap her phone and they put a body wire on her. Mm-hmm. And they figure she can get Pamela to confess and talk, right? I feel like that's
1: something that would not happen today. Like, they would not be able Probably to put not. a wire on a 15-year-old and send them into an adult.
0: Probably not. Yeah. But the taps captured Pam basically confessing when Cecilia came to Pam's house so they could go out. And Pam basically implicates herself and is like, yeah. Yeah. This is it. Um, August 1st, 1990, police, with the wiretaps in hand, apprehend Pam, saying, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I think this is, like, one of the most famous lines. for this. Yeah. I think this was a movie with, who? what's her name? The Australian red hair. Nicole Kidman? She, yes, Nicole Kidman. This was a movie. They made this into a movie. To Die For, I think it was called.
1: Oh, I don't think I've seen
0: that. Um, in any case, they say we've got good news and we've got bad news. The good news is we found your husband's murderer. The bad news is you're under arrest for murdering your husband. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. that's the line of the century. I wonder how long it took him to, like, think that up. Oh, uh, yeah. And probably, and they're going to be like, this is be so good. Edit <laughs> it. Oh, I'm going to say this. I'm totally going to say this. And they're like, like,
1: hey, 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 listen to this. <laughs>
0: I've got this good one. Just wait till you hear this. Anyway, um, the trial for this was pretty significant because it was the first major trial that was, like, televised on TV. They -hmm. didn't have court TV back then, by the way. Mm -hmm. This was right before the OJ stuff Mm -hmm. when they had, like, court TV just exploded. They had this broadcast on local TV. And it was really kind of the first time they had televised a trial. And so the media was just all over this. So it was just a huge storm. And the American public, it discovers that they're fascinated by true crime. Yeah. It's also the first trial to allow TV cameras into the courtroom, which is also significant. Mm. What's interesting is that this whole thing, um, the teens all get plea bargains going into this. Mm-hmm. Even the boy who pulled the trigger, Billy Flynn, mm-hmm. right? Um, Pamela immediately says she never talked about murder, that he maybe misconstrued her intent. Of course. So she immediately goes on the defensive. She's very well-spoken. She's polished. She admits to the affair, but refuses to say she ever wanted her husband murdered. Yeah. Okay, she's got a 1,001 excuses. She's got an answer ready on the tongue whenever they ask her anything. She's she's a pretty significant um, witness for herself in that instance. The trial took about two weeks, and it was got a lot of riveting testimony. And you can hear a lot of it online if you want to look that up. Um, but the country was fascinated mm-hmm. by this attractive young teacher who'd slept with her student. Yeah. I mean, this was pretty rare type of a thing. And I think it was really the first major one before Mary Kay Letourneau. I was going to say,
1: yeah, that was the big one I remember, but yeah.
0: Right? I mean, Mary Kay Letourneau bur- just busted that stuff wide open. Yes. This was kind of the first case like this that was highly publicized and now she stands to spend the rest of her life in prison for this um but the the public was fascinated Mm -hmm. by her you know she's attractive she's young you know she's well-spoken intelligent and when she's confronted with the wiretapped conversations with cecilia she claims that she lied because she had heard that cecilia was going to go to the police and she wanted to like change her mind and she said she that uh, she didn't know anything about the murder. That when Cecilia said that she was scared, and the police were coming around. That she was just trying to gain her trust by saying those things, which doesn't make any that doesn't damn make any sense. sense. Yeah, no sense. Um, additionally, there was a hun- there was some life insurance involved, mm. which kind of puts you know the different take on things. She says that she panicked because Cecilia threatened to go to the police and was like, "Okay, you know," which again doesn't make any damn sense why why would you fake confess yeah stupid um anyway Flynn claimed Pam brought the bullets and planned the whole thing and everyone testified against Pam and eventually the jury found her guilty Um, March 22nd 1991 of first degree murder conspiracy and witness tampering her sentence was life in prison without the possibility of parole Mm -hmm. after that she insisted the media had influenced her trial and conviction to her detriment. So, of course, it's all the media's faults. I didn't get a fair trial. Right. Blah, blah, blah. After They always say that. Um, she is currently housed at the Maximum Security Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in New York. Um, she'd been transferred in 1993 for what prison officials called security reasons. Since being incarcerated, Pamela Smart has had approximately 22 disciplinary reports filed against her, most, to, most relating to kind of minor infractions. Mm-hmm. But she's never acknowledged any kind of fault and continues to maintain she's innocent. Hmm. She does acknowledge that her husband would be alive today if it wasn't for her affair with Billy, though, which is like admitting guilt without admitting guilt.
1: Well, it's admitting like, yeah, I have <coughs> some play and th- like... Him killing my husband. Like she's still like not like taking blame for it. She's still blaming somebody else. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No responsibility on her own part. But she tutors inmates. She obtained two masters degrees, one in literature and one in legal studies, and she campaigns for women's rights in prisons. Hmm. So she's not all bad. She's, you know, done some good things well behind bars, which is, you know, good on her. Yeah. Um, In October 1996, she received a plastic plate in her face after two fellow inmates beat her up. Whoa. Allegedly, she had snitched on their relationship, which is not, it's a no-no in there. Um, And she now takes pain medications for the damage that was done to her. Um, She also believes that Billy Flynn could be the key to her freedom if he only comes forward with the truth, which (sighs) seems really ridiculous. Yeah. And then she says in the same breath, oh, but I know he's not going to do it. Because if he does, then it will nullify the terms of his plea bargain. So I know he's not going to do it. I mean, none of what she says makes sense to (laughs) me. And in any case, in 2003, the amazing National Enquirer magazine posted some scantily clad pictures of her. Uh, She claims that they were taken by a guard who raped her. And there was a related lawsuit that was dismissed. Oh, boy. uh, That was also kind of related to that. Um, because she claimed she'd been coerced by a crooked correctional officer, mm. which I can believe that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for once, I can believe the truth in that because I think that's uh, that's really a thing. Yeah. But in April 2004, an appeals court upheld lower court's ruling that would keep her in prison. Um, she also had a try at a pardon request from the governor of New Hampshire in 2005, and that was rejected. She's still actively seeking a pardon. Hmm. Um, Billy Flynn got parole and was released June fourth, two thousand fifteen, around the twenty fifth anniversary of Greg Smart's death. Um, he did accept responsibility and apologized to Greg's family, which I'm sure they probably gave him the middle finger. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Randall was also released June fourth, two thousand fifteen, and Vance Latime was released. 15 years after Greg Smart's death and Raymond Fowler was paroled in 2003 but got sent back to prison in 2004 for violating parole and got out again in 2005. Like, I've seen a lot of interviews with Pam Smart um, and her, you know, active uh, seeking to get sort of a pardon for this. Mm -hmm. She's never going to get parole because she got life in prison without parole. Right. But she's tried many times to get a new trial and that's failed as well. It's interesting to me because... Everybody else who was involved in this case is out now. Yeah. And I think that there are people who believe that had she simply accepted responsibility, then she might be out now as well. Entirely possible. Do you know if if anything happened to Cecilia? Cecilia did not go to prison. I think she got probation. Okay. Um, But there was no, um, no prison time for her. Interesting. Okay. I think she stuck a pretty sweet deal on this. Yeah. As well. But I don't know that she was involved necessarily in any of the She just knew about it. Yeah. I think she knew about it and kind of was trying to keep her distance because she didn't want to be involved perhaps. But there's not a lot of information about her Okay. um, in the the materials that are out there. But uh, do you think she should have the chance to be free? Pamela Smart. Um,
1: I think if she were to accept responsibility... I, You could make the argument, but, like, if she's not going to accept responsibility and still maintains that Billy Flynn did it of his own, like, free will, then no, because she, that leaves open the possibility that she's still manipulative and she'll do, she'll do something manipulative again like that.
0: I find it very difficult to believe that the man who pulled the, the boy who pulled the trigger is out and she's still behind bars. I don't. I, I I think that because the person who is actually
1: responsible for the murder is I more on Pamela Smart
0: than Billy Flynn. I don't know. I mean, we're one of the only countries in the world that believes in locking somebody up and throwing away the key. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting kind of a thing. And it, it really brings to mind, you know, prison reform and how we deal with prisoners in this country. Right. And we've had... Conversations about this in the past as well. Um, but it's just, it's interesting that, you know, I think at a certain point you age out of crime. And it's, she could potentially at some point, but I don't necessarily think she's there yet.
1: Right. Like, that's the thing is, if there were any indication that she's changed,
0: then... Yeah, or accepting responsibility. Right. And I think she perhaps could have gotten a pardon if she had taken full responsibility if not a pardon clemency i mean you know what i mean yeah. yeah so yeah like i just
1: it doesn't seem that she's changed in any way so like i can't see the, I mean like, i
0: think she's changed to a certain degree but the fact that she's not accepting responsibility that's one of the primary tenets of being able to get yourself out
1: yeah there's so. no indication that she won't do anything like this again because she doesn't see what she did as wrong in the first place.
0: Yeah, kind so of in you my think opinion. she was fully responsible for everything and planned this out and convinced them to kill her husband. Yeah, even though she claims she's innocent. Yeah, they framed her and that the only reason they, they made her out as the bad guy was because they all got um, plea bargains.
1: I think that they were 15 years old, and yes, what they did was horrible. But I don't think that they bear the ultimate responsibility for his death.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Interesting case, though. Yeah. I've been wanting to talk about it for a while now. Yeah. And, um, it is a really interesting case. Because
1: this was also, like, the big twist of a female teacher and a male student. Like, normally when you hear about a teacher-student relationship, you think of, like, the male teacher predator preying on like a young innocent girl and this is the flip of that because there's that idea there's that fantasy of a young hot, male hot for being teacher like, right yeah of being like oh i'm i'm hooking up with my teacher like this is awesome high five high five and no he like he's a victim
0: yeah it's, I, I think there's a, a pretty significant portion of the population that doesn't think he's a victim. Like, hey, good for you, kid. High yeah. five Yeah. kind of a thing. Like, she, they, he can't be a victim yeah. kind of a thing, which is we, we all know is simply not true. But right. it's an interesting kind of um, juxtaposition with <laughs> the way we look at cases in the opposite way mm-hmm. for different sexes, right? Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. So anyway, let's go ahead and wrap the case up unless you have anything else you want to add. I don't like my tongue is just like blah, 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 <laughs> i can't speak properly but anyway um if you have any questions comments or suggestions concerns whatnot please shoot us an email we're at the bfd at gmail.com also we would ask that you please rate review and subscribe to our little podcast when you do so it's very helpful to us and we really really appreciate it darcy social media what do we got going for that yeah we are on instagram
1: at the bfd podcast so we'll post pics and delightful 80s and 90s pictures hairband situation pictures and stuff on our Instagram for this one
0: yeah I've posted a few I've gotten off my butt a little bit and done a little bit of posting so we'll we'll see if we can dig up some of those metal hair pictures I bet we can (laughs) and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life bye bye guys